podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the podcast that brings you business ideas from established entrepreneurs. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guests would take to get started. Follow through and you can earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Here are your hosts, Chris Justin and Ethan Janney. I'm Chris Justin. And I'm Ethan Janney. And on today's show, we have Chris Mead. Chris is the co-founder of CrossNet, the world's first four-way volleyball game. CrossNet combines elements of the childhood game Foursquare and volleyball in a competitive game to 11, win by two. CrossNet is now available at Walmart, Target, Dick's, Academy Sports, Amazon, and 20-plus other retailers. Congratulations on that, Chris. Welcome to the show. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Gus. Of course. Yeah, we're uh, very excited to talk with you. I have not personally got a chance to try CrossNet yet. We're stuck inside in the middle of uh, of COVID, but you have invented a new game and sold millions of dollars worth of product doing that. It's uh, no small feat. We'll talk about CrossNet a little bit more at the end of the episode, but we're really curious to hear how you would take some of the things that you've learned building that business and translate it into a completely new business idea. The premise of the show for those listening is to share a completely new business idea with you that a successful entrepreneur has, and maybe you've had percolating for a long time, but you don't have time to do yourself. So you're going to be very generous here and share a new business idea with our listeners. Tell us about the idea that you'd like them to run with. Of course. So uh, I'm a really big into music. I absolutely love music, going to concerts. I moved to Miami three years ago from New York City to start my company full-time. And with it came pros and cons, obviously having the nice weather in Miami, the beaches, all of that was great. But one thing that I really lost was my nightlife going to concerts. I was very big into the alternative music, indie music scene. All the music down here is EDM and Latino music. It's not the music that I enjoy. So when a band comes into town, it's very rare. So with that being said, I find myself all the time like, some of these bigger venues in New York, like Terminal 5, Bowery Ballroom, Music Hall of Williamsburg, places that I'd always go to to watch my favorite acts who are coming on a nightly basis. And I would just text my friends like, oh, you better be at that show. Like you're missing out if you're not going to that concert tonight. So what I've been thinking about lately, especially as we are stuck inside for who knows how long, and granted those venues are now shut down, but overall, I was thinking it'd be very, very cool to have a subscription service to specific venues. That way you have access to their venues and their shows. And all you, all the venue would require is to have a camera crew or just a camera that's embedded, an audio guy. And then that live stream would go out. And it's either, the model would either be one, you pay on a per concert basis. Oh, my favorite band in the world is playing in New York City. Uh, the sold out show. I'm stuck here in Miami. I can't make it. Five bucks, I can live stream in. Or, oh, this venue's at overcapacity. They can't sell any more tickets, but they can sell eyeballs. So why would they not do that? And bands with a loyal following, they would 100% sell those access. I've been stuck here. I've watched three concerts on Instagram Live the last two days. Like, I would pay two bucks to go watch my favorite singer perform for an hour. So definitely think that'd be a cool business model, tapping into different music venues. Obviously, the big ones are way more complicated than just the local small venues, but Doing something like that could really be a strong revenue model, I think. Cool. I just got off the... Well, this is on, on a much smaller scale. 
I just got off another call with my team of piano technicians in New York City. That's what we do in, in my business in New York. Of course, we can't tune pianos. So we're putting together an out-of-tune piano concert where <laughs> people can come on and, and play their out-of-tune pianos on, online, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Great idea. Yeah, there's definitely a, a need for that. And as you're describing it, it's one of those ideas where you're kind of thinking like, hey, why doesn't that exist already? Exactly. Uh, why do you think that's the case? Why doesn't this exist yet? I just think the one, obviously the venues want to sell bodies. They want bodies in the, the venues. They don't, they're probably nervous that people would stay at home and watch the concert for free instead of experiencing it. But I think that somebody who enjoys live music, they know there's nothing that's going to replace that live music feel that a phone will ever be able to take away. So I think that's one thing that venues kind of have to wrap their head around. And also it's the staffing or whatever the logistics would have to be. Obviously we're only in my mind right now, but I'm assuming we would need one camera. At least we would need multiple cameras on better venues, audio equipment, somebody to make sure that all those things are working properly. So it could be a staff of three or four people plus the technology. So there is some overhead cost there and then whatever other fees are associated with it. But I don't know. I think it's a great idea. I know there, I have so many bands I'd love to just go see that I don't get to go check out. And if I could just pay a subscription to a venue or a subscription to a site and just boom, here's what I got going on in this venue tonight and just jump in for a half an hour. I'd absolutely love it. Yeah. And, um, I do have a little bit of experience in trying to produce online streaming events. So I can give a little bit of information, you know, for a few thousand bucks to 10,000, definitely under 20,000 bucks, you could put together a real nice live stream pretty much anywhere, you know, just a few cameras, a few camera people, and, you know, make sure you have a good streaming service, make sure you have good internet, all that kind of stuff. But the good news is with these venues, you know, all the equipment, or the sound is already there. They've got the sound set up. They probably just need to create a board to plug things into. And, and in that case, again, depending on how big the venue is, right? Once it gets bigger, it's going to be more and more expensive. But yeah, the price point on, on sort of the overhead on that is not too bad. That's, that's good to know. It's interesting thinking about this because it seems like venues are really close to doing this. And a lot of times they will record a big show in one city and then on Netflix or another streaming service for you to be able to watch later. So they're going through all of that work to do that recording. Why, why aren't they publishing it live? Yeah, exactly. And I, I see some of the bigger artists, like the Post Malone's of the world. I'll see like he did something with Budweiser and it was a live stream and there's hundreds of thousands of people watching. And so it's obviously great on the Post Malone level, but it goes down to the, the smaller acts, like the bands that are just going on their first world tour. It'd be dope if I could just log in and boom, watch, watch them play in Indiana one night and for five bucks or whatever it is. So I don't know why the venues aren't doing it yet because it seems like it's money that they're missing out on. Well, maybe we'll unwrap that a little bit more as we get into it. I think it could be interesting to... Normally, we don't dive into some of the actions or <laughs> validation steps yeah. this early, but I think it could be interesting to kind of get into it a little bit quicker here. So... You talked already about how you'd solve it and how you'd monetize this solution. How would you validate it? So I think the, the easiest way to validate it would be the streams and how many people are tuning in. So if we would get one test market or test location to try it out, we'd advertise it on social, through email, whatever their email list is as well. Say, hey, we have this live stream tonight. Maybe do a free model at first just to see where the interest lies. And if there is a number there that's significant. And even if it's, hey, 250 people charge them, and then you could start building a revenue model based off of that. 
And obviously you have to kind of weigh the pros and cons of how much does it cost me to staff the people and get it the setup versus how much am I actually making? That's, that's how I would validate is how much interest there actually is for it. So even if you don't set it up, because you're kind of saying, well, maybe you set it up as a test, right? And then see if people show up. You know, theoretically, you can test something like this without even setting it up. You know, you just say there's going to be a live stream, you know, send out that marketing email. Do you want to attend and just see how much money you raise and see, does that cover your expenses? And if it doesn't, you can refund the money, you know, or you, you can make it, you know, it doesn't have to be deceitful. You can say, oh, we're going to test out whether people want this live stream. We don't get a thousand people on this live stream. You know, we'll refund your money. So tell all your friends and we'll make it happen. You know? Yeah, that's a great idea. hundred percent. In the middle of the uh, lockdown that's going on right now, there's some independent artists who are already doing something similar on a tip basis. I think one of Ethan and I, mutual friends, he mentioned the other day that he tips 10 bucks to some artists that he was able to, he doesn't get a chance to see because he doesn't live in the same town. And now that their shows have been canceled, they did a virtual session and he was happy to to spend 10 bucks to be able to see them because he doesn't get too often. Exactly. Yeah. And it goes directly to their pockets to the artists. So like they're grateful of that. Yeah. That tip thing's been great. I've watched four concerts in the last 24 hours, like just put my phone down while I'm working and just have my favorite artist in my ear and it's live and it's organic. Like, so people are willing to spend. I'd, I had a $50 ticket to go see a concert that just got canceled. I'd spend five bucks to watch them in replacement for sure. This is turning out to be a pretty good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just uh, throw in a couple things. One, I know, like we know that some of this is being done and I, you know, just another example, I believe the uh, opera metropolitan opera in New York city has been doing this kind of thing. And so let's get into a little bit of the logistics of what does this particular service provide? Do they provide the equipment? Do they come in and set it up, take it down? Is it more like connecting with venues that already have equipment? What does the business actually provide and do and how do they integrate? Yeah, I think from my imagination, the the business would be providing the camera, uh, the camera equipment to start. Unless obviously if a venue has a camera equipment, then maybe it's less of a fee that they charge and we use their equipment. Um, it would uh, provide the sound technicians and also the operators for the camera. It would also provide the plugin for the, for the video, like to, to get the, the internet stream going. So we'd have that connectivity. We'd have that bandwidth created already. And all the content you would have to do would be sign in to join the subscription service or whatever the, the model is. And then maybe a percentage of the revenue, well, definitely a percentage of the revenue goes back into our pockets if it's not a flat cost fee that we charge them. So the venue, would this business make money off of the ticket sales per se, like a percentage of sales kind of thing? Yeah, I think it would be a percentage of sales plus maybe once the, the business has grown strong enough to charge a retainer as well. And that retainer goes directly to staffing and equipment. Makes sense. Yeah. I was thinking of um, on the other side of it, what do you charge people? And a lot of times businesses use a freemium model here. Thinking about what a freemium model could look like. Uh, one idea would be you get to listen to the first 15 minutes for free. And then if you want to continue on, then you pay the $5 or something like that. Or um, maybe you do a trial model where you, you allow them to listen to three concerts for free. And then uh, it becomes part of their routine. And then they want to, they're happy to 
spend 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it is a month on the subscription service. Any thoughts on pricing on the consumer side like that? Yeah. One thought that I just, as you were going through that, it would be interesting because I always look at the calendars on the venue by a month by month basis. So if I were to put my credit card in, I get one concert for free. So I go through the event venue, I pick the one concert that I want, and then I get the rest of the month. I have to pay for the rest of the month. So I get my one free concert, then the billing starts, and then you can cancel after a month if you'd like. Something like that. But yeah, 10, 10 bucks uh, obviously depends on when we really start breaking out the financials, but I think five or 10 bucks would be more than fair. So it's kind of like a, it's like a clearinghouse for a bunch of different options. Maybe it even comes down to you can buy credits, right? Or it's like, you know, with the, with the $30 subscription every month, you know, you get, you get four credits, you know, or five credits or whatever it is. And then, oh, wow, this big concert, which is really exciting and really special is going to take up all your credits because, you know, it's really amazing. Or, you know, you get to watch as few smallest things and you can and use uh, little credits here and there. Exactly. Got it. And then the question comes is, does the band get any kickback on that? Or does it just go to the venue? How does that work? And that's the next stage of it. I, I would have no idea. Do you know what the typical percentage breakdown is? Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, I'm sure that's, that's Googleable, yeah. right? What is Live Nation payout to the artists? And I bet it's different for different artists. But I thought that they make a good bit of their... Their revenue via live acts. That's a good question. Yeah. And, and venues take a, a percentage of merch sales too. So they, they're always getting into everything. So it'd be interesting. It really would be. There's something here. One other thing to bring into just the equation and for people to consider, you know, for that person listening right now who is thinking about doing this, you know, Twitch is a great place to look for what's already going on. Did you say the outro on Twitch? I forget. Where did you watch the one that you've seen? Uh, I've watched a few on Twitch. Actually, one last night on Twitch mm-hmm. and the other on Instagram story. Okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah, Twitch, there's a lot of this kind of stuff going on on Twitch and people are doing concerts and you can donate and pay money. Exactly. Yeah, Twitch is a lot better set up for the donations and selling merchandise. So I'm imagining you go to a venue, you probably want to start with larger ones and you go to them and say, hey, we're doing the subscription thing. Is it like a trial concert? You almost, you can help them pre-sell it and everything. You set that up. And is it that if it works, you literally like leave your equipment set up there. And then from then on any concert in their venue, if, you know, if they want to be a part of it is in the service, or is it more like you come in and out, you know, piece by piece? I'd assume that granted, we'd have to see how the funding would work for the company. But ideally, if the funding was done properly, we'd be able to leave the camera equipment there. That way it's set up in the positions that it needs. I'm assuming just a, a three-shot camera, like one angle, bam, bam. bam. And then uh, the camera equipment stays there. It's in the location that it needs to be. And then all it costs is our people to just to come in on a, a nightly basis to record. Everything's already set up. The mics are already all pretty much good to go. We check the levels and we go live. Cool. Thinking about the alternative to this idea, what would people do instead of, of doing this? And free comes to mind, right? There's a lot of music that people can listen to for free. And uh, you can even watch previous concert recordings for free. What makes this so much better than the free previous recording? Uh, because it's now, it's live, and you have that FOMO. I really feel like if I have a, a band that I love playing somewhere that's a big show, and I've been to the venue before, I've always wanted to check it out, like Red Rocks in Colorado. Never got there before. But if one of my bands are there, and I'm like, I'm really missing out on something cool tonight, it, it would be. 
definitely worth it, my money and my time to, to live stream that rather than watching a, a YouTube video of them playing from four years ago. Is there anything that can be done to add to the experience of the person at home for them to really feel the liveness of it? You know, like, uh, I don't know, like things that the band does to engage with the video audience or maybe the video audience is giving some sort of input that they can see the result of. Does that matter? Do you think that would make it more engaging for the home audiences? Yeah, I definitely think it would, especially when you start thinking about light shows and kind of backgrounds that some of the, the bands have. Sometimes like bands are famous for their light shows and the, the stage that they're on. So if there's some way that you could embed that into a monitor and somehow those graphics are popping up on your screen while you're watching. That would be crazy. Obviously a lot of work there, but yeah, that would be cool. There's also the aspect of, you know, they like pan the audience, right? And like, can you somehow like pan the home? It's <laughs> like, a, like, like you literally have like a giant screen with faces of all the people watching, you know, like That's crazy. That, that would be pretty fun. And like, that, you know, that's one aspect that's kind of a, I don't know if that will ever get anywhere. Who knows what the future holds, but it's like cheering, right? Like cheering in a concert. That's like a big part of the fun, you know, just like getting, getting into it and providing your energy to the performers. So like there <laughs> some way to like go on your computer mic and send a cheer out there. And there's like a, there's like a speaker like playing the cheers from the home audience and who's going to cheer louder, like the home audience or the people that are there. Yeah. Crazy. I keep coming back to this. We talked about it a lot. I really like this idea because it's coming at the shift of people's habits. People are used to now sitting at home and communicating with each other, consuming content, uh, tools like Zoom and Skype and Snapchat video are becoming more common. I just had a, I got together with all my college friends last night via Snapchat video and I haven't talked with all of them together to probably like we'll get together for a bachelor party which is now like once a year i'm old enough that that doesn't happen too often but people are embracing it more even older generations are embracing it more i know my mother-in-law she's she may be listening she uh, she had a happy hour with her friends so it's not just something that is happening amongst young people which is again a perfect time to do something like this i would love to hear more from you around specific actions that you would take right now to get this going and, and picture you know, the person who's listening at home, they may not have all the resources that you do financially or, or even network connections, but what kind of things can they do to get this going? Yeah. I think before even taking out any like thing of a business name or actually you should probably think of a name, but besides that, like I wouldn't buy any equipment. I wouldn't be staffing for anybody. I know that there's people who know how to operate cameras out there and know how to operate audio equipment. I also know I could probably find people with camera that own a camera equipment. So I don't actually need to buy anything. I can just use the resources to begin the company. From there, what I would be doing is I'd be going and I'd be prospecting on LinkedIn and finding the people who run these events, uh, run these uh, venues, excuse me, and kind of learn what is the actual title of somebody who would be decision maker on this. I wouldn't lie. I wouldn't know what it is right now, but I'm sure by the end of the day, I could figure that out. And then from there, I would hit them up, whether it's a cold call or an email or a LinkedIn message, something super small and just conversational saying, Hey, I have a great idea for live streaming that could be used when your venue's at over capacity to bring in more income. I'm thinking it might be able to fill an extra 5,000 viewers a, a night and make you guys an extra, wow, let's just say 10,000 bucks. Are you open to chatting? Something super conversational like that. And then start picking their brain and kind of like hearing from them. And even off of that, 
I'd probably reach out to the smaller venues first before you start doing these larger ones with 2,500 capacity. I'd reach out to your local venue that's just has the bar crawl with 50 people maybe and hear what they have to say. What are their objections? That way you're ready for that bigger call. Is there any tie-in that you would make to what's going on right now? I'm imagining that a lot of the people who have these decision-making powers, their business has been upended. They may have a lot of free time actually to be able to talk with you, which is a good thing in terms of this business. Does that change the way that you approach it at all? Or um, I think it gives us more access to the decision maker and learning more. Also, I think one way I'd phrase it is, hey, who knows when things are going to get more stable? One thing I keep talking about with my friends is, when is it going to be zero cases left of this going on? Like, because then it starts all over again. Why doesn't it start the, the numbers scale back until the number goes back down to zero? So who knows how long it will be until we start to feel comfortable and start to actually want to go out into concert venues. So their sales could be down for a long time. Who knows? Ticket sales could be down. People don't want to get together and be on top of each other for quite a bit, understandably. So something like this, if we can make it happen quickly, would be good for their bottom line. So we talked about that as a possibility, like when the concert venues filled, are we discussing some sort of like, I don't know, empty concert venue, but they're still facilitating a home concert? No, I I don't think I would do that. I mean, I've seen some artists do that. Uh, All I'm saying is it doesn't have to just be available when it's sold out. It could be nice to have a region, like just being able to log in and watch it if you're not from that state or don't have the ability to get there. So maybe some venues only turn it on when it's sold out out of that fear of people staying from home, uh, staying home. I think right now, who knows how the general public's going to react two, three months from now. Are they going to want to be all together and in groups huddled on top of each other? I don't know. So the concert venues will definitely figure that out sooner than later. And if there's not as many people there at the shows, live streaming could be an option. I'm thinking about Kevin Kelly's article, uh, 1000 True Fans. You guys may have heard it. We'll link to it in the show notes. But 1,000 True Fans is basically if your business or organization gets to the point where 1,000 people will buy literally everything that you produce. They love you so much that they're going to uh, be at every one of your shows or they'll buy all your merchandise, etc. That is difficult to do when you're limited by time and space. This business idea that you're bringing up, it eliminates those restrictions. You can be in Idaho and, and have someone... Uh, playing a concert in Red Rocks. And if you're a thousand true fan, you'll, you'll spend five bucks for sure to be there. Yeah. Uh, so again, I'm kind of fanboying your idea here. But <laughs> yeah, that's a concept that I think makes it even more attractive. Any um, risks uh, associated with this uh, particular business venture or maybe competition we want to point out? Yeah, I think the biggest risk would be A, I don't know the first thing about creating like a live streaming platform. So I don't know the cost behind that. Or if you just plug into something else that's very functional and operating, would it be a partnership with Twitch and we just provide the camera crews and build up the revenue model? I don't know. So that would be one question. Staffing and paying for things like that would be another thing financially. And then also just the risk of people, do they actually show up? And do does the venue have the acts that are compelling enough to get the audience? I think with these larger bands, there's no question that they could I was watching a stream for James Blake. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he had 25,000 people watching him yesterday on Instagram. He went live with a moment's notice and people sat and watched his hour and a half concert. And I did. I sat on my couch and literally watched an hour and a half virtual concert. And I would have 100% paid money for that. So we could get the right artists to kind of start the business. 
Uh, I think it could take off, but if we don't get the right venues in the right places, we could be out of a lot of money. Is there a niche that you would start by focusing on? Let's say alternative music or I know you don't like EDM, but like EDM or whatever it is, right? I don't know if it would be a niche. I think it would be finding the, the correct venue to have the partnerships with. So rather than chasing the artists, chase the venues that have the steady foot traffic. Okay. Uh, because those are the venues that have people coming to their sites on a frequent basis. I'm like Revolution Lives, one down here in Fort Lauderdale next to me. I'm refreshing that site. Once a week, I'm going on to see what new artists are there. So building the connection with the venue is more important than the artist for me. Kind of changing gears a little bit here. What is, uh, in thinking about the person who is listening to this episode, what kind of qualities that are important to have to be successful in starting something like this? I think uh, they need to be optimistic. They need to be realistic. And they also have to be passionate about the music industry and also just really grinding out for a while. I don't know when this business would ever be wholly like crazy profitable. It would take some time to really get some uh, places signed up, but they would have to be passionate, have hustle, and also be open to feedback big time. Because there's going to be a huge learning curve, uh, learning things that they probably don't know about like myself and just trying to get as much feedback as possible from tons of different people involved. There's a couple of good things, you know, you brought up about like optimism, realism and putting the grind in, you know, I'm, I'm remembering reading more about CrossNet and the story is one of those that at least, you know, when you read it on certain pages, it's like, well, it just sounds like everything worked out really, you know, like we started out, you know, we just got to put this thing together. And then all of a sudden we grow like the revenues huge the next year. And then it's like, oh, multiples of that the next year. So can you talk a little bit about, first of all, did it feel, you know, relatively natural and easy with that? But also what are the ingredients where you saw, you know, it still took a lot of work or maybe there was something beforehand that, that happened that helped you prepare for that? Yeah, no, it took a long time. So we invented the world's first four-way volleyball net and it was just three kids, three childhood, like my brother and our childhood, one of our best friends growing up. And we had a great idea. And it took a long time because we knew, but we, we had the proof of concept down. We knew when we, whenever we set up this four-way volleyball net, everyone looked at it. Everyone stared at it. Everyone wanted to get involved. There'd be times where we just set up the net and 50 people would come play. So we knew we had a really good product. And we knew that if somebody bought it and set it up somewhere else in the world, that same effect was going to happen. So eventually, when we got more and more units out into the world, it kind of led to like a pyramid where somebody would set it up, somebody from their town would buy it. They would set it up and then somebody else would buy it. So eventually it started to snowball, which was great, but it took a lot of time. And we, our first year, we made like 70 grand across three people and we invested all of that money to get more inventory. And that's when we shot up from 70 grand to two and a half million in one year. So it just snowballed and just continued, but it wouldn't have happened if we didn't pull, like, we never pulled cash out. We never bought a Ferrari. We literally was just like very humbled and grounded. And we just kept doubling our inventory to where we're at right now. Was it literally a projection on like, you really could tell that it was just a matter of growing it and that you reinvested that? Or is it more just a principle of reinvesting? It was a steady traction. We saw every day that customers come to their site. I knew our conversion rate. So if I know my conversion is 3%, I know out of every 100 people who come to my site, I'm getting three sales. And then my whole job is how do I turn that hundred visitors into 5,000 visitors? And then I can make predictable math and I can predict how many units I'm going to sell. 
because I know the average customer comes to the site will convert 3% of the time. So it starts becoming like a, literally like a math equation. How can I get people to my site at this percentage rate? This is how many I'm going to sell. I got to plan the inventory for that and plan the dollars. And that always meant just reinvesting. And so what would have happened if you hadn't, if you were like, uh, let's pay ourselves half of this or something at that? We would have ran out of inventory in the company. We would have had to borrow money or give away equity. Any principles of like how you started that, that you feel you could mirror into starting this concert home production project? Yeah. One, I'd have to be more educated on what my startup costs actually are. I don't know much about creating a streaming service or do you partner with streaming service? Um, For partnering and instead of building it from scratch, I'm assuming it's going to be much cheaper. But there may be a buy-in for why would Twitch ever want to start partner with me who has a not even a fully fleshed out idea. So I'd have to figure out those business expenses and then also the revenue model on the venues. For us, we're selling an actual product. So I know it's $150 I'm getting every time I get a sale. So it's predictable math. Right now, I I would think I would have to get some type of seed money or money to play around with to really build the company up rather than just start with our first concert venue and become profitable. I don't think that'd be realistic. Maybe there's also a principle of, you know, looking for those things where people are just showing up, right? Like where are people just showing up to do online music, you know, and using that as a principle for, okay, how can we just take something that's already working and expanding it? You know, just like people would take, Hey, an idea works really well in the U S let me expand it to my home country or something like that. Exactly. Well, thanks for sharing that. Chris, this has been a very uh, punchy interview here. You're very clear in your answers and your understanding of uh, why this idea makes sense. And I think it's been one of the more compelling ones that we've talked about on the show. So thank you very much for sharing that again. You shared a lot about this, but uh, what's one thing that you really want our listeners to focus on and take away from this conversation? Um, If you have an idea, just think, why not you? Like everybody who has a good idea, like they all started off pretty much as just a normal person. Not that I'm not a normal person, but like you have a big company, but it doesn't change who you are as a person. Like you still go home and you watch Netflix with your girlfriend on the couch with your dog. Like you're just, anybody can make anything as long as you put the effort in. So you have a good idea, just run with it. Awesome. So to the person who's listening at home, if you are on board with what Chris has shared here and you are feeling inspired to start this idea, take some action, follow through on some of the steps that we've outlined here. We'll share some of them in the show notes as well. Email us at update at runwithit.fm with exactly what you've done. You can also take your own actions that we haven't talked about. Feel free to expand the scope of what we've described and experiment and let us know what you've done. Everyone who emails in will gain access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one lucky listener will earn a free mentoring session with Chris and potentially a business partnership on this idea. Chris, thank you so much for the time here. Where can people go to find out more about you? If you want to learn more about my company, it's crossnetgame.com. If it's me on a personal level, just go to LinkedIn, Chris Mead. And if you have any questions, reach out, chris at crossnetgame.com. Great. Thank you very much, Chris. Looking forward to talking to you again. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Perfect. Thanks, Jess. 
Now, it's time for you to run with it. Follow through on the action steps discussed and email a summary of what you did to update at runwithit.fm. Every listener who emails us will gain exclusive access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one listener will earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Help us build the Run With It community of generous entrepreneurs. Please like, subscribe, and review us online. And remember, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.